sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. This isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. Andy here and this is your March recap. A couple of days late, I know we're in April, but the point of this podcast is we're recapping and playing highlights of some of the interviews that happened last month. What you're going to hear in this podcast is an interview with Diana Pasilka, very popular, so uh, many good comments and feedback from that one, thank you so much. We're playing a clip where Diana talks about UFOs, the Vatican and religion in general, which was fascinating. Then you'll hear a little clip from Daniel Otis. We spoke to Daniel who had successfully foiled to get a lot of documents from the Canadian government. Some great work by Daniel, a journalist in his own right who is just getting his feet wet and dipping his toes in the water and all those analogies that I like in the UFO subject, which is brilliant because he comes at it with a really fresh perspective. He talks about UFOs in Canada, air traffic control and also NORAD in their part with the US and Canadian relationship with NORAD. Jazz Shaw, fascinating interview, brilliant to finally speak to Jazz on the podcast. I've spoken to him a few times on other podcasts. He talks, uh, has opinion on Roswell and some controversial potential theories as to what may have happened. And also, he answers a listener question on the supposed bombshell Harry Reid video that may or may not exist. So we asked Jazz his thoughts on that. And finally, I'm playing a little bit of a tease for the upcoming Rich Hoffman interview. Uh, Rich Hoffman, an executive board member on SCU, 20-year defence contractor, and so many other titles as well. Rich, the feedback for this one has been fantastic. It's already out as we record this on Patreon, Apple Premium, Spotify Premium, on YouTube Premium, any of those... um, paid subscription platforms and I'm sorry if it's behind a paywall and it doesn't stay behind there long but it came out very early on there for everyone since we're we're quite ahead with interviews. The feedback's been fantastic. That one is due for for general release on the 11th of April. That will be in two parts on the 11th and the 13th of April but if you want to listen to it early you can check it out um, after this little teaser where uh, Rich talks about SCU's Rubber Duck UAP video analysis. It was a brilliant interview. mainly down to Rich, not myself, of course. Um, He was great to speak to, and he was really good for not just talking about the the data and the science, but quite happy to speculate as well. And he's definitely got his own favourite theories as to what UEP may be, which are fascinating as well. And just before we get into the podcast, where you'll hear all those played back to back, a little shout out to supporter of the podcast, Jamie, who asked for a shout out. More than happy to do that. So hi, Jamie. Thank you again for getting in touch and, and supporting as you do. And thanks to everyone else who supports, listens, shares and engages with the podcast. It means a lot. Um, again, busy month still to come. Daz Smith is due for an interview next week. We'll be talking about remote viewing UFOs. After that, I have Louise Elizondo on the 23rd of April. 
Those interviews will round off April and start early May as well, which will actually be the two-year anniversary of the podcast. So um, a little celebration there. Whoop, whoop. Um, and I've just recorded last night with Avi Loeb. That interview won't be up until, when I look at this now, the 20... Uh, as I look at Rich Hoffman on the 11th of April and then Avi Loev on the 18th of April that'll be released but again early on Patreon etc so if you can support or if you just want to check out the premium services you can do so with some free trials in different places particularly a two week free trial on Apple all for about the price of a coffee a month you get early access no adverts all that kind of stuff uh, and I like to I really do think I like to put in the effort to get those out as quickly as possible and there's no adverts or sponsorships or anything like that either so thank you very much enjoy the recap show folks and we'll speak to you soon he asks what is the Vatican's view of the phenomenon and does Diana think that what they think uh, sorry and does Diana think what they have is a good understanding of the phenomenon based on their records and faith Okay, so talking about what the Vatican thinks about it is like talking about what does the U.S. government think about UFOs. So there are a lot of different opinions, okay? A lot of people in the Vatican don't want it. They don't care, (laughs) right, in the hierarchy. Um, Some people don't want to talk about it at all. Some people talk about it and say, you know, um, that uh, it exists, but we don't really know about it. Some would look back on their records and say, Um, yeah, this looks like something that's anomalous and some totally discount it. So there is no set uh, dogma or statement with respect to what the Vatican thinks about it. Um, However, the Vatican has an association of Catholic scientists. And every once in a while, I think like once a year, they are they host a conference on extraterrestrial uh, you know, looking mm, for extraterrestrial mm-hmm. civilizations and things like that. And they have people from Harvard and MIT there. I've been invited there. Um, and so, yeah, they're completely open to it. Um, but is this like intelligent extraterrestrial kind of like reptilians that they're talking about? No, this would be more like, you know, are there microbes on this exoplanet uh, you know, sure. yeah. that, you know, we could possibly, you know, utilize this to when we ruin our own planet, something like that. Uh, they work with NASA you know, and things like that. So they're definitely open to it. Um, and they're up on the research, right? So a lot of people have been doing this research for a very long time, um, but they're not out They're not, not the ones that are out there making extreme claims or, you know, they're not like, they're not doing, um, they're just not doing press releases every day or even every week or ever. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, Sebastian wants to know, he would be interested to know if you have any other examples of saints in Christianity beside Santa Teresa de Avila, which she mentions in her book, that have been rumoured to be connected to the phenomenon uh, and maybe more recent ones as well. Yeah, it looks like a lot of them have. So um, I have uh, the trial records of Joseph of Copertino. So he's an Italian saint who has levitated and has said to have levitated. Um, so he's really interesting. So Sebastian can look at into him. Um, you also have Sister Maria of Agreda. She's Spanish. She's a contemporary of Joseph of Cupertino. I actually mentioned her in my book, American Cosmic. And she wrote, a co- she lived in the 1600s and she wrote a cosmology um, of the world and the earth 
uh, that, I mean, she wrote this a long time ago and she was basically talking about the spinning earth so she could see it from space because she believed that she was elevated off earth by on the wings of angels. And she also came to the United States and was able to land in the United States and talk about what she saw there, um, which looked pretty accurate. Um, and she's even known in New Mexico and Arizona as the lady in blue. So there are a lot. Oh, um, and also uh, Francis, um, St. Francis of Assisi, um, he had a what looks like a pretty intense aerial phenomena experience that radiated him and, and gave him the stigmata, what now is called the stigmata. That was the first instance of it. Um, so yeah, so there are a lot of uh, occurrences and not just the saints that we know. Um, there are, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of records, if not more, that talk about aerial phenomena. I mean, I just found some, you know, in randomly in my searches in purgatory before I ever started this research. So there are, there, there, you know, the histories of religions there, that's a rich tradition for this information. Largely because it was you that kept got the ball rolling on this over a, a period of many months, I think about nine months. How did this all come about for you? Well, I actually initially filed my request um, <clears throat> for, these, for these reports about a year ago, back in February of 2021. When they got back to me, they basically said that uh, I, I'd filed the request with uh, Transport Canada, which is the government transportation department. They got back to me and basically said, you know, look elsewhere. Uh, I didn't believe them and I kept asking. Uh, so through several freedom of information requests, I was able to get these reports. The, the way I, I knew of their existence was uh, Transport Canada. Again, the, it's a Canadian federal agency. They maintain a online aviation incident database. So I, I found this early in my research, and this database is very interesting. You know, any kind of incident that happens uh, with a pilot in Canadian skies gets logged in here. That could be a bird strike, uh, mechanical failure, drunken, unruly passengers, and uh, UFO reports make it into, into there as well. So, you know, by going through that database, I was able to pull a, a couple dozen UFO reports. And then through the Freedom of Information system, what I was trying to do was find the source reports that informed those public facing ones I was finding. And that's what this newest story consists of. It's, uh, you know, nearly 300 pages of reports. And the majority of those reports were sent to Canadian transportation officials by a private company called Nav Canada, which owns and operates all of the civilian air traffic control infrastructure here in Canada. I think in most countries in the world, uh, air traffic control is operated by usually government agencies. Here in Canada, it's a private company, you know. This, so there, I would imagine in terms of radar data, tower recordings, et cetera, this private company probably holds most of the relevant data for anyone who wants to research UFOs in Canada. But as a private entity, obviously, you can't target it with uh, freedom of information requests. So, you know, I was able to figure out which departments within our federal transportation departments that the air traffic control company was speaking to. And then by in subsequent requests that were very specific, targeting the offices I knew that were communicating with this air traffic control company, that's how I was able to get these nearly 300 pages of reports. And, and that's great work and it's tenacious as well. Were you able to speak to any of the, the staff who work at air traffic control or is that something that's a bit off limits given it's not necessarily public facing like you say? 
Yeah, they they will respond with very generic statements about, you know, how they deal with these reports and forward them to relevant authorities. But I, I, I have yet to have a good on the record conversation with anyone there uh, that could you know, give me some inner workings. Um, if anyone's listening and they're working in Canadian air traffic control, shoot me a line, give me a call. Always happy to talk on or off the record. Uh, but as of now, no, I, I have not been given an on the record look at the inner workings of how they handle this kind of stuff. But, you know, the, the document trail is pretty clear. Air traffic control in Canada, they, you know, they're the first point of contact if a pilot sees something, you know, they're flying along, they radio air traffic control, air traffic control then notifies uh, Transport Canada, the Federal Transportation Department, and they also notify the Canadian Air Force, specifically a Canadian Air Force unit that's uh, affiliated with NORAD, NORAD being the joint Canada-US air defense system that's been uh, guarding North American skies since uh, early in the Cold War. I think uh, my experience with NORAD would be using its uh, YouTube channel to track Santa when it's Christmas time with the kids. <laughs> so it's good to know that they've got other uses out there as well. Or you're well, not based. Well, Santa, Santa isn't the only thing NORAD's tracking. Um, you know, there's evidence in this story, for example, uh, there was one report specifically that involved a, a fisherman in the Bay of Fundy in the Atlantic and a woman at home in Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia being our, an Atlantic province here in Canada. And they both separately reported seeing something uh, glowing in the sky, hovering out over the ocean at night. These two individuals contacted a search and rescue center in the city of Halifax. The search and rescue center then contacted a NORAD uh, affiliated Air Force squadron. That squadron did conducted playback on NORAD radar and observed uh, a radar hits that correlated almost exactly to the time and location of the sighting. So there's a nice uh, instance where you can see, you know, uh, civilians see something. It's corroborated by NORAD radar. Uh, Santa isn't the only thing that NORAD, NORAD is tracking. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's creator network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Host-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's Creator Network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts, I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one, that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. 
Jazz wants to know what is your honest take on Roswell? Um, asking Jazz as a truly seasoned pro on the subject of UFOs. Uh, Gaz isn't sure. There seems to be a little more than he seem, he seems to think there's more than the normal level of discussion about Roswell lately, and wondering if something's going to potentially come out. Roswell is one that I have looked into, not nearly as deeply as some other people. I really I enjoy the subject. I've always found it interesting. Um, the only thing I can say conclusively to my satisfaction is, first, something came down on that ranch, probably in late June of 1947, and wasn't discovered by Banks Brazel until July 7th, right? And that's when all the notifications and Hubble Blue started. Something came down out of the sky. And the second thing I'm convinced of, there was a cover-up by the government. In fact, there was at least four of them. What they were covering up, as far as I'm concerned, we still don't know. I I have my own theories. I, I think extraterrestrial craft is probably number two on the list. I th- have heard uh, Nick Redfern had has actually, I think he wrote an entire book, but he also did some articles on it. He did a lot of digging, and I still think it's very possible that that was a top-secret program, not the uh, the secret listening balloon uh, program. The name slipped my mind right now. Um, not that, but again, now we're getting back to the subject of the government done some terrible things yeah. sometimes. There are documents that, that Nick highlighted and witness reports uh, from people that were alive at the time who suggested that back then we were first studying the effects of very high altitude flight and radiation on people. And they suggest that the government may have taken maybe some Japanese prisoners of war, maybe even, I'm going to say something horrible, trigger warning, shut off the show if you don't, if you're not ready, that they may have even taken disabled children who were abandoned at, um, asylums and homes and things back in the day, which, which happened if you had a, a child that, you know, had severe birth defects and it's tragic, but they did. Uh, maybe that, maybe some children, maybe some Japanese prisoners and put them in a craft suspended from a really huge balloon that was not pressurized and just shot them way up into the air just to watch what the effects are on people being up there without pressure suits or anything. And of course they would die. Um, and if one of those crashed, that's certainly the sort of thing they wouldn't want to talk about back then because of classification. And also they would never want to reveal something like that. If that's the case, that might've been what they covered up. Um, The other possibility is, yeah, it was a flying disc and somebody didn't get a memo and went out and called the radio station who called the newspaper and said, yeah, we're covered a flying disc. We'll check it in. We'll let you know. And they yanked him off the stage really fast with a hook. And then they came out and went, nope, weather balloon. You know. Yeah. So that, that's my answer. Um, uh, I don't have a personal belief, but uh, I, I would put um, extraterrestrial incursion uh, fairly high on the list, but not at the top. I've said on the podcast, Jazz, that it happened so long ago. And it's the it's the first case I think almost exclusively everyone hears about when they get into the subject of UFOs are are first exposed to it that 
I'm, I'm always wary of things that happened so long ago, getting like additional books and new witnesses, because almost everyone involved in that at the time has now passed away, and the grandchildren of these people have have more or less passed away as well. So you're now on to the great 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 grandchildren of of anyone who was involved. And I think the only true way anything could really come out further about the the case would be if the government did have some super secret files that one day they opened up. <clears throat> You know, through a John Greenwald, and they opened them up and went, "Here you go. Here's what happened, or here's something from it." Um, but it, it's one of those. I think the myth, the lore, the legend is is there for a good reason. And um, yeah, but interesting. Thanks for the question, Gaz. Um, Sazek asks, "Have you heard or seen anything about the supposed video video Senator Harry Reid left after his passing?" Okay, I guess now it's safe to talk about it. Um, I have spoken to a couple other journalists about the rumor that and this started about three years ago uh that i i guess the general consensus seemed to be that he had recorded when they when he found out he was sick and whatnot had recorded something most likely with george knapp the reason people thought that there was one podcast god i'd have to go back and find my notes um where there was a discussion in the background where Jeremy Corbell had gone on that show and while they were recording it and it wasn't, wasn't alive, it was being recorded. If, if the story is true that he had said to the host or hosts, I think it was two people, uh, he was just telling the story and getting into it and, and just sort of mentioned out of the blue that, uh, that Harry Reid had done that, which is important, you know, cause you don't want to lose and then he kind of stopped and was like, wait a minute, hold on. We need to cut that. And I guess if the story, again, if the story is true, they cut that section out of it before it was published. But there were people who allegedly watched that portion of it. So we never heard it from Harry Reid. We never heard it from George Knapp. We never heard it directly from Jeremy Corbell. It's, this is one of those stories that you heard from somebody who heard from who allegedly knew about like three three generations away um with all that said just because of their history together and by they i mean harry reed and george knapp and all the years and the exclusive access that that knapp always had to harry reed whenever he wanted him you know he talked to him he was he was at his house all the time i would not be at all shocked if that video exists um there may have been instructions you know, even after I'm gone, you have to wait a certain amount of time before it gets released. You know, let all the funeral arrangements and my family and everything get taken care of. Uh, maybe there's something about it that has information included that could get someone else in trouble until those things get sorted out. Uh, so my the answer is, no, I don't know for sure 100% because I was not one of the people who watched that podcast. And even if I had been, I I'd still be relying on Corbell's knowledge. So sure. I don't personally know anybody who's actually seen the video, which would be the only way to confirm it. Um, and Nap's always very good at holding holding things close to the vest. So and and I think but even I, I find it plausible. Fair answer, uh, Craig, who is one of the longest uh, listeners to the podcast. Hi, Craig. Ask: Can Rich comment on the SCU analysis of the rubber duck UAP video? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, that right now, that analysis is going through peer review. We've actually put the report together. Uh, it's being peer reviewed 
Uh, we're hoping to have that out probably by and finalized as far as the peer review study uh, by within the next two months. Uh, bottom line on that I, and, uh, is that the, the, it's a similar situation where you have Homeland Security, the Customs and Border Protection people engaged in and watching an object that was near the, the, the border. Uh, and potentially what you look at it on thermal, and we, we understand thermal, uh, usually it has like settings. It's, it's basically, you know, it might be black hot or white is hot. Uh, and so in this case, in that one, it, it was basically black was hot, which meant that the thermal contrast between like cows on the ground or the whatever uh, would be warmer than what you'd see on the object that was seen there. Uh, you have an object there that, that basically maneuvered around for over 40 minutes, uh, you know, and was was video recorded as even the object went around it, you know, or the aircraft went around it and, and did loops and parallel uh, parallax what had to be focused on as well in this study. But ultimately, it doesn't, the thermal signature doesn't match anything that we typically know of. Uh, it was extremely cold. Uh, and so what would be cold like that, that would yield that kind of a thermal temperature? And when we, when we compare that against other kinds of objects, like if drone, somebody suggested it might've been a parachute with a payload on it, uh, that, that was actually seen and that would give the rubber ducky kind of appearance. Well, first off the, the balloon idea is, doesn't work because it's going in directions against wind at times. And so you have also the fact that ultimately the uh, the object itself is completely cold and it would and nothing like a parachute would give that kind of like, or a balloon would have given you that kind of like thermal image. So there's a lot of these types of things that I'm talking about that we, we expand on in the paper, but we we ultimately come up with the fact that it, it remains uh, inconclusive. It's, it's an, an anomal anomalous. We don't know what it is. It doesn't correspond with anything that we, typically think of as being conventional or natural. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shut out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more. Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly killed.
to see myself, and I climbed out the window after the elf, and I woke up in my bed, and there was something on my head, and everything was weird, and everything was wet. I called out to my boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems, and they think I should take care of me, and I don't know what it is, because it doesn't really scare me.